listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So this great bodhisattva that I know, this great awakened being that I know, asked me, Mike, I don't see how you can do this without ego. Okay? How do you, how do you, the noticer is not ego. That in you which can notice all things that arise can also notice ego, can't it? Right? Therefore, it's not bound by the constraints of ego. The noticer is free. The noticer, the watcher, the witness of your experience can recognize all that arises and miraculously is perpetually at peace with whatever arises. Just like a mirror is perpetually at peace with whatever it's reflecting. You don't find a mirror that goes, no. I mean, unless it's a ma magic mirror. <laughs> and then it may. It may very well say no. But this just open awareness that we have that can reflect everything evenly, everything with absolute, total peace, total openness. There are no constraints to it. Living there allows us to be at peace with what is. With whatever arises, we can look at it, and it's not that we go, Oh, waffles. I love waffles. <laughs> and then two minutes later, it's, uh, you know, you're reading the paper. You love waffles, and then you read, Oh, horrific tragedies on the streets of Baghdad. That's great. It's not what this is. It means that there is an equanimity, there is a peace with the waffles and with the tragedy all at once. It doesn't mean you don't become moved by the waffles or the tragedy. It doesn't mean you don't act. It doesn't mean you don't engage. It doesn't mean you disengage. It doesn't mean you detach from life. It means that you are unattached from the trials and tribulations. You are unattached from the glories. You are unattached. In other words, you can meet each of these things like a mirror would meet each of these things. You become a mirroring presence. Okay? And in that space, when you can be, develop a certain degree of balance even in the face of it all. When you can accept what is, you become then, you embody an agency, you maintain an, you become an agent of peace, not an agent of war. Agents of war are not at peace with what is. In fact, they are fighting or resisting what is. And that energy, that energetic pattern begins to, like a snowball, 
it begins to gain its own inertia. It feeds on itself. Unconsciousness feeds on itself. The only thing that's totally indigestible, the only thing that unconsciousness can't grab and start, start you know, using to make it bigger and fatter and more angry and more unconscious is consciousness itself. It finds that absolutely indigestible. That in us, which can witness, which can reflect just like a mirror. That's what actually stops that giant ball from rolling. Sisyphus is free in that moment. The stone ain't coming back on him. In that moment, suddenly the stone that Sisyphus has always been pushing up and up and up and up. And he's like, God. And then it rolls back down. Laurel and Hardy with the piano type deal. Suddenly, it stays put. The piano finds its home. The rock rests. And from that place, as an agent of peace, we are no longer contributing to the war. So hopefully, hopefully, every one of you will find time in your experience to, as we've talked about, just watch for homework this next week. Just watch and then participate. You can always do this by checking in, checking inward, asking yourself, what's arising in this moment? And whatever arises in that moment, that which notices the arising is free, is absolutely totally free. That is your natural state. That is your Buddhahood. The noticer, the watcher, the witness, whatever word you want to use, it's fine. That presence in you which can just recognize but not grasp or avoid that which can just reflect as effortlessly as a mirror reflects, that's an awakened mind. And that awakened mind will begin to participate with an awakened body. It begins to literally awaken with the body. It begins to notice the body. It notices the mind. It notices everything else. That noticing, that watching, that witnessing enlightens all beings. That is the consciousness that is indigestible by unconsciousness. And the easiest way for us to practice this is when we sit still. When you sit still, and I always just tell you stuff like, you know, pay attention to your breath, right? Well, what is that really doing? If you're paying attention to your breath, you're noticing. You're noticing your breath. If you're noticing your breath, you're noticing the very thing that never, ever stops. Your breath has never not been there. Or if it wasn't there, it was probably an amazing experience. <laughs> your breath is always there. If you're paying attention to your breath, you're simultaneously, I'm letting all the tricks out of the bag right now, but you're simultaneously paying total attention to the now. The breath is never not now, unless you're holding it. And then it was like, boy, it sure was nice, and I can't wait till, right? 
which is typically the way we go through life. We're always in here or over here, right? And instead of actually just breathe, let go, breathe, breathe, just breathe. It's, it's, you don't have to work at it. Okay? So, I gave you a little tease there, but I wanted to make sure I could cover that a little bit before I got to your questions. Now, maybe there aren't any, but I'm imagining with this radiant group in front of me that they're probably, especially since when I w watched you guys all kind of coalesce when you were doing your partner work and you all kind of came back, there's a lot of this look. <laughs> you know, the kind of furrowed brow, but a smile, which I always like, you know. <laughs> always means something cool is going on. So, um, yeah, I'd be happy to entertain any, any and all questions or comments. Big Dan, yes. When you, you talked before the meditation, <coughs> you talked, I think I heard you say something about um, coming back and informing your action from that space. And that's very tricky because there's a place where you easily get lost. The witness stops being the witness and becomes I again. And on the cushion, that's pretty simple. But engage in activity. You have to act. You have to, at some point, there's I acting. Whether I exists or not, there's a sense of I that's doing the action. Yes. And it, you can stay there to some extent, but I, I would just, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on that part of what you You'd said. like me to elaborate on the part the where part you bring... Bringing it back and informing right. it and not getting lost back in the eye sense and how you can do that. Yeah. Does everybody, everybody hear Dan's question there? It's a, it's a great question. Okay. So I'll, I'll repeat it for the uh, podcast audience here. It's essentially... The way I'm hearing the question is, how do you, you, okay, you can get to this place where you, you notice, you watch, you witness, you're in the audience watching the stage play and so forth. But then, when you bring it back, which, you know, we're supposed to do, we're not supposed to stay unplugged, we're supposed to plug back in, we're just a different apparatus that's plugging back in. How do we do that in a way that doesn't then get re-caught in the habitual addiction of our egoic sense, right? Well, first I'll tell you that the way you can tell, oftentimes what happens is people will, they'll develop this kind of witnessing awareness. It actually it's not that hard. It's always there. Our witnessing awareness is like the one thing that's not going away. It's like breath, okay? It's always there, okay? Just can we plug into it or not? When we plug into it and people get that realization, oftentimes their eye sense or their ego or their mind, we can use all three of those interchangeably really easily, their mind grabs it and goes, instead of wow, it usually says wow and then aha. And it starts to try to co-opt the experience and become, instead of sourced from this vast presence of witness, it starts to try to become awake even though it is precisely what impedes awakening? I sometimes say it's the ego trying to wear the Buddha's robe. 
okay? You can always tell an enlightened ego, okay? Another big secret right out of the bag here. You can always tell an enlightened ego because an enlightened ego is still going to have tons of forceful resistance in it. It's standing, uh, as I've said before, on the edge of the stage with its back to the audience, watching what's going on on the stage, and it thinks it's in the audience. It's viewing, but guess what? It's still, it still succumbs to the traps and snares that show up in everyday life big time. And then it pontificates like it knows. But the witnessing awareness can watch that. And so the witnessing awareness, the way we bring that, the way we bring that noticer into the experience constantly is we participate in whatever it is that we're doing fully, absolutely fully, always recognizing that in us which is either resisting or going greedy. If we can do that, if we can, in other words, come back into the world and recognize where the ego's lingering uh, uh, shadows are playing out, we, in essence, are we're Buddhaizing whatever experience we're in. So the arising of greed or aversion is a signal that yes. you've moved out of that space. Yes. And, and and you need to pay more attention. I exactly. And, and then step back. Yeah, step back. Just watch continually, Dan. And so, th in other words, the, the art, your life becomes literally this expression of, uh, an artistic expression when there is constant attention paid to the moment-by-moment -moment existence that you and I share and everybody else. And when you pay attention like that, you can start to see how much of our life is ruled by the contraction as opposed to oriented from and sourced from and in, intended from, if you will, spaciousness. Spaciousness will always look like that, okay? Ego will always look like this. Sometimes it'll look like this, right? Okay? So paying attention, paying attention, <laughs> sounds really boring, but that's really the way, the way this works. And the resistance, you, you'll find that resistance just starts, you're very comfortable with what is. You're very comfortable participating with what is. Sounds like a lot of work to be so conscious all the time. Yeah, what do you think? That it'd be easier to be unconscious. No doubt. No doubt. It is much easier to be unconscious um, in some respects, but I would say really actually the hard thing is to be unconscious. The hard thing. The, w the, the thing that really is weighty. The thing that really tires us out. The thing that depresses us, the thing that we get addicted to, the thing, the, the thing that we are enslaved to. Because most of us are. Most of us are. Yeah. 
I mean, it's about as, it's about as easy as being addicted to heroin. What's really easy? What's really easy is approaching life from an awakened place. That's easy. Now getting there, we have tons and tons of karma to undo, don't we? We have to, and by that I don't mean that like in my past lives I was a, you know, I was a mean person and I'm not saying that. I'm saying karma is any action that is sourced from greed or aversion. Okay? When we start watching that, what happens? That karma starts falling. There's the, the karmic activity begins to kind of fall away and it becomes easier and easier and easier. The hard thing is to live a life in delusion. The harder thing than living a life in delusion is living a life partially awake. <laughs> the easiest thing is to live from an awakened place. So everybody who decides to kind of jump in a little <laughs> has got trouble <laughs> because what they do is they get kind of raw. They start realizing, oh my God, this life, this experience, this unconsciousness that I've been dealing with and so forth, how can I ever undo, be quiet, sit still, and then do that again tomorrow, and then do that again the next, and what you'll start doing is practicing space. It's really what we're doing, practicing space instead of living in habitual clutter and that clutter is, is it's self-regulated. I mean, we do it. The clutter is stuff that the ego does to keep itself safe. It literally creates a bunker of clutter. Awakening is precisely what's on the other side of that bunker. Totally vulnerable, right? And so partial, if you will, awakening is, well, I'm going to keep part of myself in the bunker. I'll, I'll just lean out the doorway here past the gun turret, okay? And I'm going to look outside, and then I'll... I'll I'll notice the open spaciousness until I start feeling too threatened, then I'll come back in. That's killer. So there comes a point when a practitioner decides, you know what, I'm going for it. As the earth is my witness, I'm going for it. And all these traditions have these various ways of kind of letting that vow begin to inform. I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's a critical step for someone intern. You can either express it in front of others so that it's something, some type of public ceremony, you know, or you can just do it deep in a deep internal way. I'm going for it. This, I want to live my life close to this, no matter what. And the minute that spawns, the minute there is something within that wants this more than anything else, takes off. But that's a really frightening thing because it's like, do I, do I actually want this more than um, my wife? Yeah. But guess what? This awakening is not separate from my wife. And it's not separate from your husband or your kids. They're all part of the package. But the ego loves making sure that you don't think that it loves making sure that that in you, which is already awake, is totally just, you know, pushed, pushed back, does everything it can to make sure that the audience isn't there, even though it can't. All that stuff just starts kind of churning and burning the minute we're, we partially get into a practice. When we commit to it, 
takes off. Now that's not a pep talk. I'm really serious. It is not a, I'm not trying to sign here. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a fascinating thing when our orientation becomes one of this matters. Awakening in this life is not only possible, it will happen if I take the steps. And as the earth is my witness, I'm doing this. Everything, everything kind of falls into place at that point, even though it's paradoxically kind of strange. Like, I thought want was the whole thing you wanted to get away from. Yeah, you're, trust me. Want this bad enough, and want will disappear on its own. But that initial fire is really helpful. That's why people with really, really powerful and strong egos, sometimes they get the hell beaten out of them in this process, but they can do very well. They can do very well. They can, they can open. They just have to sacrifice everything, just like everyone else. Sacrifice everything. The big secret is, yet another secret that's coming out of the bag here, sacrificing everything in this process means that you gain all of it. So, Michael, because we happen to be human beings... Speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. This is not my body. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> and... If our intention is to do this work, this practice, and we fail, mm -hmm. sort of continually, the goal is most assuredly not to beat ourselves up because we can always say, oh, I wasn't alert to that and I wasn't uh, seeing whatever the drama is. On the stage, right. Is, mm -hmm. uh, wanting to say, oh, it shouldn't be that way, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And then stepping back, getting some space and some stillness, and saying, oh, I really knew better. I, I, I shouldn't have been mm -hmm. going, mm -hmm. uh, observing the drama from that standpoint. So I guess my question to you is, um, does the practitioner need to be alert not to beat themselves up when they uh, don't see what it is yep. as what it is, yep. and just the wishing, the wanting it to mm. really be different. Right. In other words, what yeah, which, what it sounds like you're describing is like when you constantly are feeling like you're failing in the work, even though it's what you really want, mm -hmm. then what? What happens is... And I wish I could remember the. This is really escaping me right now, and it shouldn't. I'm kind of ashamed. Um, this process, I believe it was Dogen, Dogen Zenji, who said, "This process is one continuous mistake." Okay. Yeah. What's your relationship to the mistake? If your relationship to the mistake is, ah, it doesn't matter at all. Pushing it away, right? That's an attachment, isn't it? If it's on the other hand, I can't do jack. I am I am a failure. Okay, that's also that's also getting in the way. If on the other hand, you create an open 
mirror-like presence to the experience of failing, guess what? The failure is awakening you. Okay? Again, we go back to this idea, this stage of mind. You can think of the enlightened ego, quote-unquote, as being like the stage, the director, who's watching, watching his actors on stage. And man, that lady can be brutal. Okay? Your relationship from the audience as you're watching this dress rehearsal go down is of absolute total compassion for the person who is, or the director, who is thrown a conniption. And you can, with our stillness practice, we develop this just really, in my view, kind of a beautiful and tender, compassionate way of kissing that intensity. Just like we would show love to, uh, you know, a seventh grader that drives us up the wall, you know? They're cute enough to kick, right? But you don't. I mean, they really are. That, that's, that's where they are. That's the ego's job. The ego's job is to do that. The ego's job is to also perpetually say, failure. You are a failure. You are a failure. Well, who's ego talking to in that moment? Herself. Right? That gives her reason to continue. All right? That which can watch the ego create, have that little self-dialogue is totally unobstructed by any of it, totally free of it. In fact, that which is watching this go down can smile lovingly at the whole charade. See you next week. <laughs>